we're getting there and we don't have our like rhythm down yet. I heard Lindsay, your girlfriend, complain about the same thing. That we don't have our rhythm down as a company? Boom! <laughs> the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Girding, and with me is a gentleman of an American-Asian persuasion. How do you describe yourself, Sean? Uh, my mother is Filipino and my dad is white. Oh, okay. I think we should have a quick conversation about something interesting about me. Number 29 is I'm not a fan of card sleeves, although I think I'm starting to come around. Thoughts, Sean? You know, I use them so much in prototyping because it's a quick and easy way to stick like a poker card or an old magic card into a card sleeve, you know, and have like a colored card back, that kind of thing. I don't tend to sleeve my games, but it's been a while since I've like dedicated, played a card game enough. These days I keep thinking like, if I ever played a game so much that the cards got destroyed, I would just buy that game again. Um, It seems like a pretty easy investment to make, but I like things that are like ritualistic in the gaming industry. I have some really old games like the TSR game Divine Right, and these cards were like perforated cards back in the day when they'd send you a sheet and you had to tear them apart. I've thought about getting those laminated because it's like an old game and you know the the card stock quality these days is really really high usually on almost all games. And you know they're like of a weird size so they wouldn't fit any sleeves. But yeah, I could take them or leave them. I use them a lot functionally for prototyping, like I said, but I don't use them a lot in my personal gaming collection. Myself as well. I use them not only for prototyping, but the hard plastic sleeves we used for two rooms and a boom when we took it to shows because people would be manhandling our prototype cards and they would last like three games if we didn't use the hard plastic sleeves. That's why we use plastic cards now in the box, the official retail version. And like convention goers hands, sorry for all of you out there, they're just so dirty. One convention at like, let's say Gen Con could have like a red or blue or bomber president card touched just thousands of times by like grimy people who haven't washed their hands. So it's really like acidic and hard on any of your components really. Yeah, and not just holding the card, but in terms of a boom, as you know, you're handling this. You're showing people color sharing, you're full card sharing. Most people squeeze it between their hands as if it's the ring of power in your golem. My precious. So they really get worn really quickly. But I have to admit, I've come around a little bit because some games on Kickstarter have come with the card sleeves and I like them on really big cards. So tarot sized cards, having those card sleeves, it's nice. I don't know why, but for some reason in regular either bridge sized cards or poker sized cards, I hate it because it makes it harder to shuffle them. Right. And if you spill something, it doesn't save it from spilling. Let's get this clear. It makes it worse because the card sleeves are like, oh, water, come on in here and we're going to hold you against the card instead of letting you escape anywhere else. The most disgusting thing at conventions for us for the last couple of years was... Uh, Bathrooms? Other than that, was the World Championship Rush Roulette prototypes, where the cards would get oh, so disgusting because they have white backgrounds on the card fronts. Right. They would turn red and brown by the end of shows, and people would actually compliment them and say, like, ooh, I love this cool kind of gritty background texture. And we'd say, yeah, totally. But it was really just the accumulated grime of everyone just touching germs. those cards. It was just grimy germs. Disgusting. So disgusting. 
All right, Sean, where do you want to start? You want to start with the knaves or do you want to knight someone? Let's start with the knaves, then we'll knight somebody at the end. We're flipping the mic. What's your name, sir? Pimp yourself. Nathan. Cole Spicy. Andrew Pimpin Mountie. Eric Brammer. Everybody calls me Fluffy. Devin Kelly. Chris Phillip. So we're the Wetzel family. I'm Jeremy Wong. I'm Kellen Freeman. I'm Nate. I'm Luke Patton. Luca Wetzel. Mark Slack. How long have you been listening to the Tuesday Night Podcast? Since the beginning. I think I started somewhere around 12 and then just went back and have been listening to pretty much every week. Been a knave for almost a year now. I've been listening to the podcast since the very beginning. How did you hear about Tuesday Night Podcast? Might have been Shut Up and Sit Down? Shut Up and Sit Down Podcast. If I remember correctly, it was the Shut Up and Sit Down Podcast. Shut Up and Sit Down. Two of Alan's former students, the Kelly Twins, turned me on to him and I couldn't stay away. I've known Alan Gerding since uh, I took... Psychology. That's Professor Girding to you, sir. I think I just heard it through backing terms in our boom here at Origins. From the Kickstarter, I backed Necroboomicon. What? Internet, Reddit, BGG, something like that. I don't remember. From my buddy Jeremy Wong. What is your favorite part of the show, least favorite part of the show, and or both? Give us your feedback. I think favorite part of the show is, well, of course, Captain Chessbeard. Your Valentine's Day episode was really good. Elevator pitch is always great. I really like the longer form podcast a little bit. I just listened to the one of you and your dad. I thought that was really cool. I really liked the April Fool's episode. I like it more when you're on it than when you're off. You guys saying what games you like and don't like is great. You don't spend as much time reviewing as so much talking about the general feel, which is nice. Hearing about making games, like the thought that goes behind it, also games you've played. I know you guys are just interesting personalities. I love the sound design, how you incorporate the music into the dialogue and stuff. I love elevator pitches. Okay. I love I love when you get genuine, when you don't pull punches. My favorite thing about the podcast is elevator pitches. I think it's really brilliant, and especially when you add a character on top of it. I would say that my favorite episode lately would be Mother's Day. I laughed more out loud at your mom's answers or non-answers to your questions <laughs> than any podcast so far. I'd say market it some more. It's a great thing and I really enjoy it. You guys do take an interesting perspective in that you talk a lot about game design but you've only got like two published games so if you could publish more games. For the worst part of the show, maybe it's your questionable music choice once in a while when it's depressing. Least favorite is when not all three of you are there because I really love the dynamic. A little bit less editing, man. You have a lot of soundtracks. It can be a little distracting. Although I did like hearing Sean's very angry story about fries with the soundtrack slowly increasing to a crescendo. That Alan guy can be a little bit much sometimes. Yeah, otherwise, it's a pretty good show. Anything else you want to say to all the other knaves? Just have fun. I'm going to steal the line from Will Wheaton and say play more games. Move to Cleveland. Keep on naving. I just want to say thank you guys for listening to this wonderful podcast and thank you for supporting Indie Games because you guys are the guys that make it happen. Man, you're such a shill. Was that Mark Slack at the end who was shilling? Of course that's Mark Slack shilling. <laughs> <laughs> he is such a great guy, man. We have a very uh, prominent Twitter relationship. That's like where we do most of our communicating. <laughs> yeah, so to be clear, I didn't cut any compliments or criticisms. I, I kept them all in there. So don't think I pulled any punches. But what'd you think, Sean? What'd you think of the feedback? 
It was nice. It was just nice hearing from everybody. I think with a game, it's very obvious. We get good reviews or sales go up. It's very like easy to tangibly tell how the games affect people and what kind of opinions they have. But with a podcast, there's a lot of times where it's just, you know, it's you and I talking. It's like we might as well be on the phone. And, you know, the episodes get out and they get listened to. But hearing that, you know, people are listening to it and enjoying it, it's huge. That's the literally the only reason to do this. I mean, it doesn't add years onto my life at all to, like, just record a podcast and put it out there. But to hear that, you know, people like it and enjoy it, it's a good thing. I always found it interesting when there's contradictory feedback as well. Someone saying, I like the sound design, too much sound design. So there's probably a compromise in there somewhere. Elevator pitches were pretty popular as well. People wanted us to publish more games, which I completely agree with. You know, we've <laughs> been doing this for about... <laughs> Sorry, I totally cut that out. This is one of the things. I said, oh, more games. Do you hear that, Sean? More games. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely one thing I cut. I'm sorry. But yeah, more games. That was... It's We've so been doing good. this for about four or five years, and you know, you have a full-time job, and I've had like part-time jobs and contract work, so it's been hard getting to a place where I feel like the day-to-day operations of the company are stable, especially with like the manufacturing hurdles we've had and the fulfillment issues. We've just had a lot of like hard lessons to learn very early on, which is great. Like I'm glad we're learning, but I'm very excited to be moving into this next phase. You know, like game one, two rooms in a moon being a hit at all was huge, right? Like many people go their whole career without having one. And so I felt really lucky. And then game two, it was like, oh, this has to be a good follow-up. But now it's starting to feel like we need more games. We have a lot of games that I think you and I are designing or working on or developing, but we have a lot of games that are ready to go, right? Like I would say we have a bunch of games that are in the 80 to 90% completion range where they could use some blind play testing, and then they could use a serious look at the sort of cost side of things. But other than that, they're ready to get made. We've got a clogged pipeline. It's not that we don't have enough games to publish. We have too many to publish. We just got to find the time, get it together, get our pipeline clear. Because just two guys, both working other jobs. So it's it's tough. You're doing the fulfillment for Necrobumicon. Should I mention the documentary? Yeah, uh, for a lot of you who have been long, long, long-term fans of ours, you'll remember that the first Kickstarter we ever ran was... It's our biggest mark of shame. Biggest <laughs> mark of shame. It's not Two Rooms in a Boom, it's Boomer Doom, which was a very small Kickstarter, about $3,000 raised from like 100 backers to produce a documentary documenting the trials and tribulations of making Two Rooms in a Boom. And while we've done really good about collecting uh, that that sort of footage and, and that experience, we've done a terrible job of editing and finishing it. But as of now, now that like Necroboomicon is more on a customer service fulfillment sort of slide and World Championship Russian Roulette is out in the wild, pretty much all my time that's not being spent on keeping the company just like day to day afloat is now being spent on editing Boomer Doom and getting that done. We want to have a free and clear slate of previous obligations before we move on to some of the bigger and better things. Uh, fine. Okay, I don't want to bother you, but I think I just had an amazing idea, and I had to share it with you. Uh, yeah, hit me. Okay, so you know that we're kickstarting two rooms in a boom this summer, right? I hope so. Well, what if we film our entire adventure? We chronicle all the difficulties that we've had, the ups and downs, the random shit that pops up like drage at trade shows, getting in contact with manufacturers, uh, even the difficulties we had with our Amazon account. I can show that picture I have of you where you look like you're a member of the Taliban. Look, pay attention, man. How long have we known each other? Uh, a little over a year. 
Right. We met at the Gamma Trade Show last year in Vegas! Yeah, we met those creepy magicians. Yeah, but in the last year, we've worked on Mage Wars together, Crystal Con, Two Rooms and a Boom. We made that together, and we're still working on three, four, probably a lot of games. Heck, you even quit your job full-time to work on Tuesday Night Games, our company, brother. I've been meaning to ask you if I can borrow some money. Okay, I'm sold. Uh, when do you want to start shooting the video? We're already filming the video. Right now. Seriously, though, your money could help us buy better audio equipment, hard drives to back up all our footage. I could even afford for us to go to trade shows to interview people for the documentary. Yeah, it's not easy making board games in the tabletop industry. Yeah. It's not easy making anything in the industries yeah. nowadays. But we're learning new stuff every day. Yeah, Alan and I don't even live in the same city. But we found a way to make it work for us, and we hope that by sharing that way with other game designers, we can help them realize what it's going to take to make their dreams a reality. The most important thing that we try to remember when we work together is have fun. But we know it's hard work, and we've already had a lot of stressful moments, yeah. but this is a damn fine industry to be a part of. And people like you all make this industry so much fun. So please, pledge today. And let's get to work. Let's get to work! <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is you just for a timeline comparison if you were to watch the kickstarter video for boomer doom compared to the way i look now there's a definite difference i had a full head of hair and no gray hairs whatsoever now quite the opposite <laughs> the crazy thing, too, is when we pitched the idea for Boomer Doom, I mean, we had virtually no audience. This was a test run. No one knew who we were. Yeah, how to run a Kickstarter. A lot of the ways we got some of the interviews we got was just by saying we're nobody and we'd like to interview you to learn more about how the process works. But now we have an audience. We have 6,000 customers. We've got a bunch of podcast subscribers. So I feel like the value of this documentary, which will talk about game design and publishing and marketing and manufacturing and all the little ins and outs of how we made a board game, will actually have a big audience now than than I think we even thought possible at the time. Yeah, we did have a pledge level for t-shirts and we did fulfill all of those right away. So it wasn't like we did nothing for our backers in the meantime, but we still got to get that actual documentary out. I'm excited to see it at the very least, but we did make two rooms in a boom. I think this is a natural segue into the night to knave. James York wants to become Sir James York, and he has a lot to say about Two Rooms and a Boom. In order to really appreciate James's story, I think you need to know Two Rooms and a Boom pretty well. So a lot of the knaves like elevator pitches. Sean, I want you to elevator pitch Two Rooms and a Boom to me, and I know this should be pretty easy for you, but we got to come up with a character. Because Mark Slack likes it when we have characters. That guy's such a theater nerd. Okay, so that's the idea. Sean, you are an over-actor thespian. It's like you're auditioning, but you have two rooms and a boom explanation as your script. And you're over the top because you're so new at the game. Sean McCoy, ACA agency, two rooms and a boom. <sighs> well, good day. 
I'm Sean McCoy, and I want to tell you about a wonderful game called Two Rooms and a Boom. In our production, we are going to have two main rivalries in the cast. We've got the red team, the Montagues, and the blue team, the Capulets. They are at war forever. Why? Who knows? One side has Obama, the red team, and the other side has a president, the blue team. But nobody knows who the president is, and nobody knows who the bomber is. What's going to happen is that all your players from 6 to 30 in 15 minutes or less are going to divide up into randomly two rooms. I'm focusing more on the accent than I am focusing on the pitch. They're going to divide up randomly into two rooms. You won't know who's on your team or who's in your room. Then what's going to happen is between rounds, hostages are going to switch between rooms. This shuffles the players up. At the end of the game, the bomb is going to go off and explode everyone in the room. Whoever survives... I'm sorry, if the president survives, the blue team wins. But if he dies, red team wins. Oof. <laughs> I'm out of practice. All I could think of is that theater nerds are constantly talking in British accents. It was good. It was really good. It was good hearing you in your theater accent. You want to hear James York? Let's do it. Okay, let's do this. My name is James, aka Cheapshot, and I'm a language teacher and game researcher based in Japan. And today I'd like to talk about my experiences with Two Rooms and a Boom. I've been using it as a staple part of my experimental approach to language education. At the time I first learnt about Two Rooms and a Boom, I was teaching Japanese to international students using Minecraft. Yeah, it sounds pretty weird, but basically I would have people from Finland, Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, America, all coming to the Minecraft server that I set up to study Japanese. And as part of that, I decided to use Two Rooms and a Boom. Well, without going into the gory details of Minecraft and how the pressure plates and stuff work. Essentially, people had a piece of wool that was either red or blue for the team colours, and the president and the bomber were just renamed pieces of wool. So you could colour share by showing the wool, and you could card share by putting the wool into a box, and the other person looking at it, hovering over it with their cursor. And yeah, it worked really well. It was great. Just like a specific little two rooms in a boom arena, complete with a huge bomb right on the top. Since then, I've also ventured into doing research with tabletop games at my Japanese university. The project is called Kotoba Rollers, and Kotoba means word, so word rollers. And it's been gaining traction over the last few years to the point where I'm now actually writing a textbook for use in my university, featuring, you guessed it, the Two Rooms and a Boom rulebook. Yep, all of my first year students studying English with me use Two Rooms and a Boom in the first semester. It really is amazing. And I'd like to highlight some of the experiences that me and my students have had. So, here we go. I, just like Alan, I'm guessing, is a bit of an arsehole when I'm playing with my fresh, timid, first-year university students. <laughs> uh, the first play session is just with the basic rules so they get used to the game. But then, as soon as they're ready, in come the doctor, the engineer, the spies, and the coy boys. My tactics are pretty simple. I co-reveal with a student that I think is probably on the same team as me. When I find out that they are, then I will send them into the opposite team. I'll say, oh no, oh no, 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 this guy, he's blue. When really he's probably red. Get away, get away, go and join your own team. Wink, wink. And this knowledge of what I'm doing and planning from the students is usually instantly visible in their eyes and they know that they're in for a good time. So let me give you some concrete examples of the experience that I've had with this game. And remember, these students that I'm playing with are non-English majors, so they're not actually studying English as part of their major, it's just a compulsory class. But once Two Rooms and a Boom gets played, it really changes the atmosphere. 
So I had a shy female student and she became extremely empowered as the red spy and started arguing with me furiously that she wasn't the spy, only later to then sell all our team information to the enemy. And this was a student that was hardly vocal at all up until that point. I really was speechless. Uh, one room leader claimed that he was red from round one and was never challenged. Nobody ever checked him either. Then in the final round, he changed leadership just before the end of the game and got himself sent to safety next door, revealing that he was actually the president the whole time. Jaws hit the floor. Slightly meta, but I used the classroom as one of the rooms and the corridor as another one of the rooms. And during one particular frantic game, I've had other faculty members come out of their classrooms and shout, Oi! There's a class going on in here! Only for me to reply in a hushed voice, Yeah, there's a class going on here too, to get the uh, approval of the students. It's a real great feeling. The other character I'd like to talk about is the hot potato. Oh my god. I only just discovered this character a few weeks ago, and it's a total game changer. If you don't know, the Hot Potato is like the maid in Old Maid. It's a grey character that has the power to switch cards with the player who colour or card shares with it. So if you get persuaded into colour sharing with the Hot Potato, bye bye your card. And this is really, really powerful. At the end of the game, the Hot Potato loses, so yeah, you don't want to get caught with this. Here's a few of the amazing experiences that this silly, bloody character has created for us. Due to the card switching power, players can actually have their team changed mid-game. For instance, we had a game where a player was blue at the start of the game, and then got information regarding who the president was. So this player's blue, he knows who the president is, then mid-game, he got potatoed. Okay, so far so good. But then he coloured shared with the red player, so now he goes and totally sells all information to the enemy. Oh, the power that the HP, hot potato, gives people is bonkers. Another example is round one, there's a boy in our room that looks super suspicious. Everyone is calling him the potato, so, feeling sorry for him, I persuade the leader of the room to send him to the other room at the end of the round. Why? Well, obviously, if he's sent to the other room, the people that don't know him, he can go and wreak havoc there. And, you know, I felt sorry for the guy, I wanted him to go and have some fun in there, and not potato me. So cool, he leaves the room, I persuade the leader, he gets sent to the other room, and in come the new players. I go up to the first guy and ask him what colour he is, and he proposes a colour share. Sure, I say, knowing full well that we just sent the hot potato to the other room. Nope. This new kid is the hot potato. I'm devastated. I just tried my best to make a potato a free man in the other room, being so kind to the guy that I thought was the potato, and what do I get? A face full of mash. So yeah, there are a few of the experiences that I've had with Two Rooms and a Boom so far. I just want to thank the developers again, Alan and Sean, you guys really really have changed the way I teach my class because of this game, and all my students love you for it. So keep up the good work. That's all from me, take care guys. Matane, sayonara. <laughs> You've been potatoed. That's pretty amazing. It's funny because I'd never realized James York was uh, British. <laughs> because I only yeah, see him course. on Twitter. <laughs> I think of him as like cheap shot with some Japanese kanji or hiragana or whatever it's called. And uh, his Minecraft icon. So I have like no idea of who he is. But that's one of the things I like about the Nave Tonight program is I'm actually getting to know some of the people in our little world. Another thing too is, I don't know if any other game designers or publishers can experience this, but generally you put so much work into a game, demoing it, publishing it, fulfilling it, designing it, that by the time you're done, you're done with that game. I'm not saying I would never play Terms in a Boom. Of course, I would love to play Terms in a Boom, but you've just spent so much time with it. You know what I mean? So it's hard to realize and remember every now and then that that game is out in the world, like affecting people and hopefully like being a force for good or, or at least fun for people. And so this is a nice reminder that like, oh yeah, for 
James and Cheap Shot and his students, this is like a really positive thing. It's really touching. Are you familiar with Homestar Runner and Strong Bad Email? Oh, of course, yeah. Favorite series is Teen Girl Squad, and I love the part where one of the girls gets arrowed. But all I can think of when I listened to James was someone getting potatoed. <laughs> Big question, Sean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Should we knight James? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful story, you know, mostly because it's about us. But seriously, it's just like a good... <laughs> He had a good, you know, pace and sense, and I don't know how much editing went into it, but it was just a good story. I really love these. I hope we get a lot more. And they could be about anything. They don't have to be about your experiences with two rooms and a boom. Any kind of, like, game experience, even if it's sort of tangentially related, right? Like, we're just looking for good stories that have something to do with gaming. Think of it as This American Life, but it's This Board Gaming Life. Ooh, I like that. That's a cool one. All right, then. Here we go. James York. Take a knee, for you're no longer a knave as we knight you. Sir James York of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Rise, Sir James, and be proud. You're now an integral part of this, the Tuesday Night Podcast. It's pretty sweet. I think he deserves it for just playing Minecraft Two Rooms in a Boom style. I mean, the effort that went into figuring out how to play that in Minecraft using the chess and the wool and designing the two room play area, it's crazy. And you can catch those on YouTube. If you just YouTube Minecraft Two Rooms in a Boom, it comes right up. So we should probably wrap up the show, Sean, but... I want to encourage everyone to come on down to the Gen Con live podcast recording because you know who will be at the live Gen Con podcast recording? Who? You and me. And you know who else? Who? SBJ! Oh, it'll be nice to see him. Oh, man. SBJ's been super busy. But yeah, it'll be great to see SBJ. And we are officially giving away some games to our Tuesday knaves that come on board. Do you know what game we're going to give them, Sean? I think we're going to give them Duel. We are giving them Duel. But Sean, what if they already own Duel? What will we do then? We'll just kick them in the ass. That's right. No, here's what I'm going to do is if we sell out all of our tickets, because there's still some tickets remaining at the time of this recording, but if we sell all these tickets, I'm also going to award other games. <laughs> what kind of game? Not our own, because we don't want to just promote ourselves. We want to just share the love. But what's a game that you really love that you think would be good to give away? Share the gaming love to a lucky Tuesday knave or knight that shows up to the podcast at Gen Con. That's a great question. I don't know. What do we have extra of? <laughs> hmm. Well, you know what? Next episode, I'm going to be talking to Grant Rodiak, and he has a company, Hyperbole Games, that failed. So next episode, we're going to hear Grant talk about what you shouldn't do if you're making a game company. And he made two amazing games. He made more than two amazing games, but I have copies of Hocus and Farmageddon. So I'll give away a couple copies of those since Grant's coming on and share the love because those games deserve to exist. And it's a shame that his company's going under. But you know what? I have played Exit the Game with my father twice now, and my mother even played last time. Exit the Game is up for Spiel des Jahres, Game of the Year at Essen. And my father is so anal that he didn't want us to tear into the game. You're supposed to ruin the components. But I'll tell you what, I will take those copies that we have preserved, and I'll give those away to some lucky Tuesday knaves that show up. But only if we're out of tickets 
before the recording. How does that sound? That sounds great. I haven't played Exit. Is it good? It's really good. <laughs> if you want, before I give them away, I can crack it out and you can play it yourself and we'll photocopy it so it won't be damaged. We can do exactly <laughs> what my dad did. <laughs> it's really cool because in order to play it, you need to cut up the cards and the book and sometimes even the box and whatnot that it comes in. But my dad just refused to do that. Cool. Let's bring it to a close. So, Sean, pimp yourself. You can find me on Twitter at at Sean McCoy. That's S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-I. You can find me on the tweets on the Facebook at Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. And always follow us on Twitter at PlayTKG. And please email us your thoughts, your Tuesday Nave submissions. And I also want to know what game do you want us to give away for free at Gen Con. So write us at podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think with that being said, this episode is... Finished. That Allen guy can be a little bit much sometimes, but yeah, otherwise, it's a pretty good show. Let's enjoy this son of a bitch. This interview is over.